Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, we're going to do something different at the advice of a podcaster that I highly respect. He said, you know, you have a lot of knowledge of music, which I do. So the first half of tonight's show, we're going to, this is an experiment. I do like to experiment in many different ways, but anyway, we won't go there. Um, we're going to talk about music in the first half and then the, the, the later half we're going to talk about films. So it's going to be split in two. Tonight's film, we're just going to talk about, um, see, I got to think about it. <laughs> We're going to talk about Mildred Pierce. We're going to talk about Mildred Pierce. That infamous movie, Joan Crawford and Blythe. How long has this been going on? Yeah. But first, we're going to talk about music. And I thought someone who kind of makes me get a little choked up because I almost saw him in concert. I loved his songs. We're talking about Tom Petty. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And you know, we're going to talk about the solo albums because Tom Petty, what's interesting is this man was a, a, an authentic musician. He had that voice. He had he had that look that he just didn't care. He didn't but he did care. You know, this guitar player. This this man with that I I wish we could play some of those songs. But you know what I noticed in interviews is he seemed like a good friend to other musicians. He was best friends with George Harrison, Jeff Lynn, you know, um, right a year before he was to do Full Moon Fever, he had started doing the Traveling Wilburys with Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynn, Roy Orbison, and George Harrison. Isn't that an interesting group right there? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, um, you know, they'd put out the first album. They were founded in 1988. They put out the first album in 1988. And then following Roy Orbison's death in December of 1988, the Wilburys released the second album, which they titled Traveling Wilburys Volume 3 in 1990. It just so happens that the, so the first album came out, okay, comes out, Traveling Wilburys. Everyone had different projects, you know, and so you have, you know, Tom Petty's working on Full Moon Fever. What's strange is, so they were all nominated for Album of the Year in 1989, Mm. So, album of the year. Think of okay, who's who's in that race in 1990 for the 1989. You know, Bonnie Raitt ended up winning for Nick of Time. You know, and it and it revitalized her career. So let's look at these nominees. This is interesting. Nick of Time, End of Innocence, Don Henley, The Raw and Cooked. Fine Young Cannibals, Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty, Traveling Wilburys, Traveling Wilburys. Isn't that interesting that the two albums that Tom Petty was working on with Jeff Lynne are nominated for Album of the Year? So right off the heels of the Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1, Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty go into the studio to do 
Full Moon Fever. Full Moon Fever. Now, the funny thing is, yes, it was a solo album. Solo album. But, you know, Mike Campbell helped produce it of the to- of the Heartbreakers. So, it's, you know, even though Tom says, oh, it's going to be a solo album, you know, the Heartbreakers are not too far away. Come on, let's get real. Full Moon Fever is such an amazing album. I mean, you got I Won't Back Down, Running Down a Dream, one of my favorites, Free Fallen, A Face in the Crowd, You're So Bad, Best That I Ever Had. Come on. <sighs> you know, when he does those songs, even now that he's gone and you hear that voice, people often ask me, you know, what do you think is an authentic sound? Tom Petty had an authentic sound because he didn't sound like anybody else. You know, it was it was bluesy, it was it was pop, it was rock, it was it was it was hard, it was everything. It was, you know, R&B. It was country. It was folky. You got your money's worth when you listen to a Tom Petty record. And then in 1994, Tom Petty put out Wallflowers. Now, Wallflowers has been re um, re released with the because originally it was going to be a double album, and the record company said double albums that's risky, the price, and Tom Petty always thought of his fans first in terms of you know like not wanting to push up ticket sale prices, you know because he believed in his fans. He wouldn't have been, he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his fans. So. He wins his first Grammy for um, you. You don't know how it feels. I think we've all remember that song. There's "You Wreck Me." It's good to be king. A higher place. And around this time, um, they had played Saturday Night Live, and Dave Grohl was on drums. And that was the year Kurt Cobain died. And they had asked Dave Grohl to join the Heartbreakers, and he didn't. Because he was working on stuff which would become the Foo Fighters' first album. You know, see how everything is connected? And Wallflowers is the first album he got produced with Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin brings something out of people. I mean, you think about it. Okay, right. This is all interconnected. Around this time, Rick Rubin was also working with Johnny Cash. Rick Rubin revitalized Johnny Cash's career in the 90s until his death in 2003. Now, right after this, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers went into the studio with Rick Rubin to help make Johnny Cash's Unchained, which won Johnny Cash the Grammy for Best Country Album. And, you know, usually the pundits say that people outside of Nashville win that uh, that, uh, that coveted award, which is true. You look at someone like Sturgill Simpson, who is not within the confines of the Nashville community. He does his own thing. And that's the same with Johnny Cash. And, you know, most of the country music community did not um, represent that album. And so Johnny Cash took out an ad with him flipping off the camera, an old picture, to say, I would like to thank the Nashville establishment for all your support, including the fact that I won the Grammy for Best Country Album for Unchained. Unchained is such a beautiful album. 
Um, it's probably one of my favorites. You know, Johnny Cash took some old songs, including Country Boy. Country Boy. Oh, my goodness. This whole album came out November of 1996, so 24 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Produced by Rick Rubin. Here, here's some of the songs you got on here. You got Rowboat by Beck, Sea of Heartbreak, Rusty Cage, Soundgarden right there. The the One Rose That's Left in My Heart, Country Boy, Memories Are Made of This, Spiritual, The Kneeling Drunk Dunk Drunkard's Plea, Southern Accents, of course, by Tom Petty. Mean-Eyed Cat, Meet Me in Heaven, I Never Picked Cotton, Unchained. I've been everywhere. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you have, Mr. Cash. So, Country Boy, from what I remember... Oh, okay. Mm. Because if there are early versions of Country Boy, and what I love is, is that this Country Boy, his song, not me, I did, I did grow up in the country, by the way. So, this country song... Country boy, you know, has a more of a Rick Rubin feel to it. You can hear it. If you thought Rowboat was rocking, okay, this wasn't the first time that that Johnny Cash covered Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He also did I Won't Back Down. And I heard someone once say to me, we were talking about Johnny Cash and Tom Petty, and we all love Tom Petty's I won't back down. He says, but when you hear Johnny Cash me sing sing it, it means something a little different. You know, when he's saying that he stands at the gates of hell, but he won't back down. <laughs> With Johnny Cash, you know, it's along those lines of when he famously said, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. But he really didn't, but you know. So... Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that. I thought this is a good experiment to talk about the things of music that I know, not just film, but music. I'm not going to rebrand the show. Just expect that at the beginning of the show or after the show, you're going to hear something about music, okay? You know, live music, I, I, I miss it. And I hope that, you know, we are able to get our shit together health-wise and get inoculated, like Tool would say. Um, and... Go back to concerts. Who knows? Who knows what kind of shape that's going to take, you know? Um, I can very vividly tell you the last concert I went to was Tool. And it was live in Fresno. And I got off work. My friend and I drove. And it was an amazing show. And now it means even much... It means much more now uh, with the current circumstances. And not just the fact that they were one of my favorite bands and that I drove that far just to see them. It's like, okay, three hour mile radius. Let's go see tool, you know, and they were going to do a, a a summer tour, not too far from me. And I thought, okay, I'll see them again. Well, you know, that got canceled because of COVID. So here we are. Um, around this time last year, I was in Wheatland and we were watching Def Leppard um, and one of the Eagles opened for Def Leppard. So it was a good night. It was a cold night. And here we are. Daylight savings time. It's November 1st. Day of the dead. Dias de los muertos. And we're talking about two icons who are gone. Tom Petty and Johnny Cash. You know, it's a beautiful thing 
when you have someone of the caliber of Johnny Cash doing those songs. I love, here's the thing, I love Soundgarden. I grew up listening to Soundgarden. I think Chris Cornell was one of the best singers ever. But I have a hard time now listening to Rusty Cage because when I hear it, I also hear Johnny Cash doing it. So it's as much as Soundgarden song as it is Johnny Cash's. The same could be said when he did Nine Inch Nails Hurt. And even Trent Reznor said that. Trent Reznor said that Johnny Cash doing his song Hurt, it gave it a whole new life. And that's the beauty of music. That's the power of music. We live in such a divided world and people get all, you know, upset. I mean, the administration is going after someone like Billie Eilish. Um, that's the other thing I'll tell you. You know, I yeah, there are a lot of the young artists we don't get. It's like, oh, what is that? I was so wrong when it came to Billie Eilish. And my little niece was playing on her iPad one day. And I hear this song, Bad Guy. And I'm like, who the heck is that? Should you be listening to that? And I'm listening to it. I'm like, okay, I like this. And then I heard When the Party's Over. And I was like, oh my God. So, you know, even at this point, I'm surpri surprised. So the fact that the administration is gunning for her, get a life. Art, art always heals wounds. So, you know, so yeah, this is the beginning of something different. We're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about movies, maybe art, you know. Um, but I encourage you, go listen to Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty, with some of the heartbreakers on there. The Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1, and Johnny Cash's Unchained. There's something beautiful in each of those albums, three albums. I always go, you know, there's a number thing here. Um... And uh, Rick Rubin, you know, Rick Rubin really, when he puts a stamp on something, you can hear it. You know what I mean? He worked with the Dixie Chicks. He he really brought something out of them that was different. A little more of an aggression. A little more of a tone. I mean, you think of his main band that he works with are the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And think of that sound. Think of how they're able to freeform and flow everything that comes out of the red hot chili peppers you know so as always well i can't say it because you have another show coming up so stay tuned dr zeus film podcast coming up Get your things out of this house right now before I throw them into the street and you with them. Get out before I kill you. That, of course, is Mildred Pierce Amblythe and Joan Crawford. Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. It's a new month, month of November. And so I thought, let's talk about film noir. Classics, not just film noir, but classics. And I thought, hey, let's let's kick it off with Joan Crawford and Mildred Pierce. The only time she ever won the Oscar, you know, her uh, rival, Betty Davis, won two. And I guess that always got her. 
Mildred Pierce, 1945, directed by Michael Curtis, who had also done Casablanca. He won the best director for Casablanca. It was around this time that Joan Crawford had left MGM. You know, she felt she had been misused by MGM and the powers. They were more about Katharine Hepburn. And she went over to Warner Brothers. Now, meanwhile, Betty Davis was at Warner Brothers, was about to leave, and it always felt misrepresented at Warner Brothers. She felt they jerked her around and that pissed her off, even after two Oscar wins. Along came Mildred Pierce. This was a movie that really revived Joan Crawford's career. It's one of those, it's a classic, you know? The working title for Mildred Pierce was House on the Sand. The filming began on December 7th, 1944. In 1942, two years earlier, Joan Crawford had been released from Metro Golden Mayor due to mutual agreement. Crawford campaigned for the lead role in Mildred Pierce, which most lead actresses did not want because of the implied age as mother of a teenage daughter. Warner Brothers and director Michael Curtiz had originally wanted Betty Davis to play the title role, but she declined. Curtiz did not want Joan Crawford to play the part. He campaigned for Barbara Stanwyck, who was working on My Reputation at the time. When he learned that Stanwyck was not However, going to be cast, he then tried to recruit either Olivia de Havilland or Joan Fontaine to play Mildred. Although both were all only in their 20s, he ultimately approved Crawford's casting after seeing her screen test. Even so, the director and the star were often at odds on the set and producer Jerry Wald acting as Peacemaker. The film was a box office success. According to Warner Brothers, it earned $3,483,000 domestically. Mm. Yeah. So this is a movie that revived Joan Crawford's sagging, yeah, career. You know, she won her only Academy Award for it. And here's the other thing. She didn't show up to the Oscar ceremony. She said she was sick. And in Joan Crawford terms, it's, I don't want to go. Because, yeah, the fear of losing. She wins. She accepts in bed. I think we've all seen Mommy Dearest. Yes, the kabuki performance by Joan Crawford's favorite actress of that new era, Faye Dunaway. Betty Davis didn't like Faye Dunaway. But anyway, that's another story on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. So... Mildred Pierce went on to be nominated at the 1946 Oscars for Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Eve Arden, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Anne Blythe, Best Black and White Cinematography, Ernest Heller, Best Picture, Jerry Wald, Best Screenplay Writing, Ronald McGull. And it won Joan Crawford her only Academy Award for Best Actress. She wasn't even nominated for Baby Jane. That pissed her off. She was nominated again for, I think it was, Humoresque. You know, Joan Crawford's career is a very interesting career. And Mildred Pierce was the shot in the arm that she truly needed. Now, for years, I didn't see the movie. You know, I thought, okay, you know, are you team Betty Davis? Are you team Joan Crawford? Well, you can like them both. 
And I remember I asked my grandmother once when I we had seen Mommy Dearest, and I said, well, you know, did she really beat that kid? My grandmother's like, I don't care what she did. I like that damn actress. She was my favorite. Her and Betty Davis. So she she wasn't Team Betty Davis or Team Joan Crawford because she watched them both. You know, that was that was her era. And one one Sunday, maybe it was, yeah, it was early Sunday, I decided to watch TCM, and they were playing Mildred Pierce all the way until maybe 5 in the morning. And I watched it, and I understood why my grandmother loved that movie. I thought, okay, she's not playing the bad guy. You know, people, uh, hello, just like that Billie Eilish song, I'm the bad guy. But in Joan Crawford's case, I think because Mommy Dearest kind of paints her as the bad mom. In retrospect, if you watch Mildred Pierce, she's the good mom. And she's trying to do right by her children. And it's her daughter, played by Anne Blythe, who's still alive. She's in her 90s. Who is the bad child. She's the bad seed. She's the bad seed before the movie, The Bad Seed. This kid is is spoiled rotten. She doesn't like that her mother bakes pies. She doesn't, you know, she's like, you never tell us about your people. And um, it's just one of those movies. I mean, it, it opens with someone getting shot. We, you've, we've all seen Mildred Pierce. You know, there are some crazy, crazy moments. Butterfly McQueen is in the, in the cast. And Blythe. You know, in fact, in... The 2000s, they did like a TV movie of it where um, Evan Rachel Wood played Vita and Kate Winslet played Mildred Pierce character. And I was just like, why? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it's a great TV movie, you know, but from Mildred's perspective, I was always in the kitchen and Vita you think just because you made a little money that you can get a new hairdo and some expensive clothes and turn yourself into a lady? Well, you can't. With this money, I can get away from you. Are you sure you want to know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many... <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Oh, this is good. You mean you busted up for good? Bert must be crazy. You know, I, uh, I never did mind being around you, Mildred. You don't, by any chance, hear opportunity knocking, do you? Not too much ice in that drink. You're going to make me. I like scotch. I know what you like. With soda. You know, I've always been a little soft in the head where you're concerned. You surprise me. No, this is on the level Bert's gone. Okay, I figure maybe there's a chance for me now, you know? I wouldn't drop dead at the idea of marrying you. Quit kidding. You will you? No. I figure maybe one of these days you might have a weak moment. If I do, I'll send you a telegram. Collect. Easy on the ice, please, will ya? No soda. Sorry, but never had it around. We'll take care of that. Say when? Not for me. I'm not used to it. Take care of that, too. You're pretty sure of yourself, aren't you? You've got to be educated, Mildred. You've got... You've just joined the biggest army in the world, the great American institution that never gets mentioned on the 4th of July. A grass widow with two children to support. 
Wally, why don't you make an effort to grow up? Why don't you make an effort to forget Bert? Maybe I don't want to. But you'll be lonesome, Mildred. You're not the kind of woman who can get along by herself. Well, I can try. Oh, come on. Get wise. You should be kept on a leash. Now, why can't you be friendly? But I am being friendly. Now I mean it. Friendship is more than lasting than love. Yeah, but it isn't as entertaining. Cut it out, Wally. You make me feel like the little red riding hood. And I'm the big bad wolf, huh? Nah, Mildred, you've got me wrong. I'm a romantic guy, but I'm not the wolf. Then quit hollering. I know you romantic guys. One crack about the beautiful moon and you're off to the races. Especially when it looks like a sure thing. Here we go again. Did I do something wrong? You'd better go, Wally. No dice, huh? Good night. Well, no dice, no dice. You can't shoot a guy for trying. I just thought maybe, ah, Mildred, I was only kidding. I wouldn't pull any cheap trick like you that on you. You know that. Yes, I know. Why, I... I said good night, Wally. I have to powder my nose. Okay, round one goes to Mildred. There won't be any round two. We live in hope. I'll keep on trying. I know once a week, twice a week. You could marry him if you wanted to. If you married him, maybe we could have a maid like we used to, and a limousine, and maybe a new house. I don't like this house, mother. Vida, does a new house mean so much to you that you would trade it for me? trade me for it i didn't mean it mother i don't care what we have as long as we're together it's just that there are so many things that i that we have have and haven't got i know darling i know i want you to have nice things and you will have them wait and see i'll get you everything anything you want i promise how i don't know but i will i promise i love you Fida. I love you, Mother. Really, I do. But let's not be too sticky about it. If you bought the uniform for Lottie, and I certainly can't imagine who else could have bought it for, then why shouldn't she wear it? You've been snooping around ever since I got this job, trying to find out what it is, and now you know. You know, don't you? Know what? Know what, Mother? You knew when you gave that uniform to Lottie that it was mine, didn't you? Your uniform? Yes. I'm waiting tables in a downtown restaurant. My mother a waitress. I took only job I could so you and your sister could eat and have a place to sleep and some clothes on your backs. Aren't the pies bad enough? Did you have to degrade us? Vida, don't talk like that. I'm not really surprised. You've sp never spoken of your people, who you come from, so perhaps it's natural. Maybe that's why my father... I'm sorry I did that. I'd rather cut off my hand. I never would have taken the job if I hadn't waited, wanted to keep us all together. Besides, I wanted to learn the business the way, best way possible. What kind of business? The restaurant business. I'm planning on opening my own place. There's money in a restaurant if it's run right. You mean, you mean we'll be rich? Some people have gotten rich that way. You know, Mildred, in a spring, a young man's fancy lights 
Lighty turns to what he's been thinking about all winter. It's a good thing California winters are so short. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So many crazy, crazy, crazy moments. Yeah. It's one of those movies where anything happens. It's Monty. He's dead. He said horrible things. He didn't want to be around anymore. He told me to get out, and then he laughed at me. He wouldn't stop laughing, and I told him I'd kill him. He said I didn't have the guts enough. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to, I tell you, but the gun kept going off over and over again. Then he was lying there looking at me, just looking at me. You've got to help me. Give me money to get away and time. I've got to get away before they find him. I can't get you out of this, Vida. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Think what will happen if they find me. Think what will happen. Give me another chance. It's your fault as much as mine. You've got to help me. Help me, mother. Just once I'll change. I promise I will. I'll be different. Just give me another chance. It's my fault all the way. Oh, my God. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> my favorite is when she slaps her. When she's like, you know, give it to me, not on your life. And then she slaps her own mother, which I played at the beginning. Get out, Vita. Get your things out of this house before I throw you out into the street. Get out before I kill you. Yeah. It's high, mellow drama. Now, is it a noir film? Yes. Even um, Eddie Mueller of TCM calls it film noir because there's the mystery okay it starts off with the murder and then okay did she do it who really did it and then we dive into this personality who is mildred pierce her husband the, the husband that cheated on her the 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 other woman mrs biederman the other daughter who ends up dying i mean oh yeah i just spoiled that for you but you know what i mean it's mildred pierce there's a really telling moment between um Mildred Pierce, played by Joan Crawford, and Eve Arden, who plays her friend Ida, where she's like, he never used to drink during the day. I never used to drink at all. Just a little habit I picked up from men. And she's got a men's shirt on and a tie, you know? So it's like, okay, does she have to become a man in order to be you know successful that's also what it's highlighting you know i mean there are some great moments or some great shots where she's got that fur coat on she's she looks like she's gonna throw herself over that bridge and the the police officer is like uh i'm not too you're not doing this and she's like leave me alone and of course the shot where she walks in and the murder has just taken place and that shadow i mean it's film noir all the way that's the thing about film noir in the 1940s is the shadows the music the drama you know who did it it's along those lines of who did it we gotta when we gotta dig everything to get to the root of who murdered this guy is it mildred or is it vida now in the 1970s carol burnett did her own spin called Mildred Fierce, which was hilarious. Her and Vicki Lawrence, you know, um, Carol Burnett played, of course, Mildred Pierce, and Vicki Lawrence played the daughter Vida. 
you know and she's in there and she wants to tell you know um uh what is it um him the whole he's like uh Start from the beginning. You mean the beginning? The very beginning? I was born in a little shack. And, and he's like, no, no, no. Of course, I'm talking about the late Tim Conway, who was playing the detective. <laughs> it was, it's funny. It's funny because, you know, these movies, they take on a whole nother life. You know, to the day she died, Joan Crawford was known for two movies. Mildred Pierce, for which she won the Oscar in bed. Oh, yeah, she took it in bed, all right. Um, and whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah. So, it's interesting. And and she she liked that. In fact, she would say her favorite role was Mildred Pierce. Why she accepted it in bed, I don't think we'll ever know. You know, some people say her own daughter has said that she wasn't really sick that maybe she was scared she didn't think she was gonna win the oscar so she didn't show up but ultimately joan crawford won the oscar it was just one of those movies you know um it's a moment it's a moment and if we can You got to be careful because there's music. Yeah. I don't want to get in trouble. But she slaps her ultimately. When you watch Mildred Pierce, first of all, you're going to be taken by the cinematography. The cinematography is amazing. That's the film nerd in me. And also the performances. You know, I didn't do that reading a bit ago to be kabuki. No, no, no. I did it because, you know, there's the drama of it. And Joan Crawford was really good at drama. And Carol Burnett highlighted that when she, the first time she did an impression of Joan Crawford and she was a career woman and she just kind of took it to that moment. You know, she wasn't making fun of Joan Crawford. She was just saying how it was very high drama, especially for 1945. So Mildred Pierce became a big blockbuster of 1945 to the surprise of many at Warner Brothers. You know, when it came to a film starring a woman, there's not there are not a lot of men at the title with her. She's in the main title. Mildred Pierce starring Joan Crawford. She's the star of the show. And that was very, that was a new thing for film. She was the leading lady. And she was at a new studio, Warner Brothers. Directed by Michael Curtis. Starring Joan Crawford, Anne Blythe, Eve Arden. <laughs> There's many in this. we got to read them off. Because, you know, we got to be respectful here. Zachary Scott, who played Monty. Jack Cars, Bruce Bennett, Lee Patrick, who was also Anne, the Maltese Falcon. Yes, the film noir right there, and Auntie Mame. Jack Carson, and Butterfly McQueen, just to name a few, as always. Unpleasant Dreams, watch Mildred Pierce starring Joan Crawford. <laughs> 